0: Today on Mr. Fence, you will hear an amazing story of professional and personal growth bottom-up from the warehouse all the way to the executive suite in a billion-dollar industry-leading organization. Barrick and I are thrilled to present this conversation with the president of Young Living, Mr. Ben Riley.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Mr. Fitz podcast, where we uh, spend time with experts in the field uh, to help us as men explore the six areas of our lives where we all need accountability, integrity, and improvement, those being money, uh, retirement, fitness, intake, Uh, Time with God and our families and then also substances and vices that need to be kept in check. So we are honored today to have uh, Mr. Ben Riley. He's the president of Young Living Essential Oils. I'm gonna tell you a little bit about Ben here. Ben has uh, more than 20 years experience in the direct selling industry and a long history with Young Living. He began his career with Young Living in 1998 and put himself through college working a graveyard shift in the shipping department at Young Living's warehouse and headquarters. After graduating with a business degree from Utah State, Riley embarked on a 15-year journey of direct sales management and markets across the globe. He returned to Young Living in 2016 as a regional president of North America, and in 2017, was named executive vice president of global sales. In 2018, he became Young Living's chief sales officer, and most recently, Ben was a management consultant for strategic leadership partners. And prior to all that, he served as chief sales officer at Unique, where he helped the company grow and expand its direct sales force. We are very thankful to have him back at Young Living in the role as president. Uh, good friend of mine. Very thankful for your time on here, Ben, and uh, glad that you're here with us today.
2: I'm thrilled to be here, Varric. First of all, very flattered to be invited. Um, I've looked at your guest list, and it's very illustrious. So I I told Varric, I said, I'm not sure you might be taking a step down in my case, but I'm honored to be here and really excited for this discussion. I love what you do, and I'll just... Um, One of the things I've really admired about about the Birchfield family and Varick specifically is that he he does so much for men, and I think we as men have to acknowledge that we've got to show up better in our lives in a lot of ways. There's a lot. The stakes are high, you know, and we we provide for families, we look after the people that we love, and we show up the best we can. And it's not always easy to do. We have to navigate. We have to be vulnerable. We have to learn and grow. And we're not always good about that. We're not good about community. We're not good communicators oftentimes, and. So I, I've seen what, uh, Veric you do, and of course, John, as well, to to create communities for men, to have safe spaces, to explore some of the challenges and opportunities of what it means to be a man today. And um, I've seen it specifically at Young Living, where we're incredibly indebted to Veric for the influence that he has on the men in our community. So anyway, I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate the invitation, and I'm looking forward to today's discussion.
1: Well, once again, thanks for being here. And I've got a a number of questions to ask you today. Uh, Questions I've kind of wanted to ask for a long time, but thankful that we have this platform to to be able to kind of hash them out. Tell us a little bit about what it was like working your way up from packaging to the presidency. So this is just an amazing story of not only sticking to things, but, but longevity. And I think that guys these days look at... Uh, jobs as stepping stones to something else. And there's not a lot of long-term commitment. So please share with us what that was like.
2: Yeah. So I, you know, I didn't grow up with a silver spoon of any kind. I grew up on a farm in, in Utah where I'm from originally. And um, so I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have necessarily a, a career path laid out for me which in retrospect, I think was a, is wonderful. It's worked out incredibly well for me to be able to explore and, and discover ultimately what, what I'm passionate about, what I feel like my skill set is and where I can add value to an organization. Um, and that's all been part of the journey, but of course a journey is ups and downs. And I've, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, learned from those mistakes, but I, I do think there's a lot of value in starting at the bottom. And for me, the bottom was in the warehouse. I was just picking, I was picking essential oils off of a conveyor line. There were six of us then. We were an incredibly small company back in those days. And it's it's really gratifying actually to look at where we were then and where we are today and realize the vision and the commitment that has been expanded by thousands of people, of course, the founders of Young Living, but even more people like Varick and John and others who are a part of our community who all show up and have a similar type of passion and what you can do when you link arms with good people who have a common goal or a common purpose. Uh, it's, it's quite spectacular. And I feel really fortunate to have been a part of all of that. I've learned a lot about vision too, if I'm honest, because when I, when I worked at Young Living in 1998, the company was four years old. And we were, I would guess our revenue was probably about $30 million a year, maybe if that we were only in the U S and Canada. And my, my job, I was, I was on the pick line on our, um, on our fulfillment operation, which was six people. And it was in my old pace, in my old middle school, the middle school I went to. And so it was surreal to go back to that middle school, the gymnasium and, and pull products in this, this funny little company. I'd never heard of essential oils, didn't know anything about them. I was just looking to make some additional money to put myself through school, honestly. But it it did instigate a, a love affair or a passion of mine uh, for personal wellness and also empowerment. I, I did not intentionally go into direct selling. In fact, when I first heard about direct selling, I had the impression a lot of other people do, which is, oh yeah, you sell to your friends, you, have, you fill up your garage with products. Um, I didn't have a lot of great Opinions about direct selling. But what I found both when I first started working in the warehouse, what I what I fell in love with first was the product and a different way to think about health and wellness. I I began to understand. I think I I was raised with this idea that I outsourced my health to a a primary care physician. And my journey with young living taught me to be a lot more empowered and a lot more present in my own health. And, and and I realized through Young Living that it was my responsibility to be well. It wasn't my primary care physicians. And that meant that I had to educate and learn myself. And so what I would do when I worked, when I would have my my lunch break, I worked the graveyard shift. So it was about uh, probably about eight o'clock, I think is what time my lunch break was. And I would sit down with the product guide and just do research and, and explore and understand this this new world of, Um, essential oils, which was quite fascinating to me at the time. And they're still fascinating today. So that, that education was invaluable. And I really fell in love with, with holistic medicines and natural medicines at that time. And they've been a part of my life ever since. So I'm really grateful for having had that experience, but I don't, if I'm honest, I don't know that I had a vision for, I certainly never thought that I would be in the, in the role that I am today for the company. I I didn't have that vision. And I, I kind of wish I would have, but I was 20, I was 21 years old at the time, so I was just trying to make a few dollars and pay my tuition and put a roof over my head. That was my primary primary objective. Uh, but I but I'm indebted to this company for for everything that I've learned through the years that I've been with it. And and I realize in retrospect, even though I didn't realize it at the time, that that experience did pave a way for me to to be in increasing roles of responsibility and opportunity in this company because I started there. I was willing to do the hard yards. I was willing to learn the business from the ground up. And ground up for me is, is it was warehouse. It was also on the phones talking to the consumers, the people who use the product and understanding what were their pain points, what was it that they loved about, about the company and what it sold. And so I think those were incredibly valuable building blocks to helping me perform and do better in other roles. And I think honestly, a big takeaway, a big takeaway for me is realizing that if you bloom where you're planted, there's always, it can always be parlayed into more. You know, you have to, you, and especially when you start a new career or I wasn't even graduated from college at the time, you have to start somewhere. And starting at the bottom is actually a really good thing because it pay, it creates a foundation upon which you can build capabilities. And so for for people that feel like they're stuck in a dead end job, and, and it's true for for our business today, I look for people who will bloom where they're planted. And that can be in our, call center. It can be in the warehouse. It can be as a a first-time manager. It can be anywhere. As long as someone is showing up and magnifying their their stewardship in their role, then they have a place. And, And that's what makes companies great. So even if you're in a role that you feel like, this isn't taking me anywhere. I don't know what I'm learning. If you show up intentionally and do your best to learn and grow through it, you'd be shocked at the opportunities that are created. And I had no idea, honestly, no idea that when I worked in the warehouse, that it would come back as a real asset to me in my future roles at Young Living. It's been an incredible blessing, which obviously at the time I had no clue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there's a couple of things in there that you were saying about blooming where you're planted, starting from the bottom. And you usually don't hear that from the president of a company, right? Most of the times presidents uh, went to business business school, they got their MBA, they're put into these places and you have a unique experience that, so when somebody says, I had a, I, I had this Call that I made with the call center, or this wasn't picked properly, or or whatever. You you actually know that you can identify with that and be a part of that, and that I think that's what adds to the value that you bring as as uh, the president of this company because you've walked in the shoes of pretty much everybody that that works there, which is which is really cool. But it it, it took me back to especially the part where you used to talk about blooming where you're planted. You grew up on a farm, and so what did what what are the things that you learned maybe that you didn't want to learn uh, as growing up on a farm as a kid right uh, those those things that you have to do that you don't want to do but what are the key takeaways that your parents instilled in you on that farm that that are your takeaways that have helped you become the man that you are today
2: yeah that's a great question i feel incredibly blessed to have grown up the way i did even though at the time it didn't feel like a blessing <laughs> as you can imagine it was a lot of early mornings and a lot of a lot of a family we were a so they, my parents still own the family farm I grew up on. It's it's a fruit farm so we grew apples, peaches, cherries. We did Christmas trees in the winter um, as a way to kind of keep revenue coming throughout the year. But it was very communal way to 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 make ends meet as a family and I felt very early on the responsibility to show up for my family, to do my part. I'm not sure the kids have that today where they necessarily feel that they've got to help put food on the table, that they're a part of that of that process and that experience. So Um, that was a really, that was, I think that, that, that sense of personal ownership has been incredibly important to me. I feel like my family and my mother, especially, I have great parents, but my mother especially really was all about personal empowerment. She, she wouldn't, in fact, uh, she has, she still has to this day, when you walk in her front entryway, she wrote the 11th commandment. We used to always joke with her that the 10 commandments were like, Listen, we kind of feel like God got it all here when he, when he brought down the, you know, when Moses brought down the 10 commandments from Mount Sinai, but apparently mom knows better, that there's one more that he left out. And that was thou shalt not whine. She had no time for complaint, like complaining. She said, you do something about your circumstances. If you're not happy, you are empowered to change it. And so she would, she would not tolerate, would not tolerate any complaining she would just ask us to be personally empowered and to act, to do something about it, and that's been a great Absolutely. gift to me, both on the farm, but but ever since. Um, she also was. I'm really grateful. My parents did not talk about other people. They honored, they honored others, and 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 when we knew that at our home, people's names were safe with us. We weren't going to drag it through the mud. We weren't going to to talk about people behind their backs. And if we had to have hard conversations, we would, but, but there was no gossip and there was no backbiting. There was no pettiness. And my parents love people just have a deep, love, a love, deep abiding love for, for their fellow man. Um, so much so that my dad bless him. He he's hard to take anywhere because he'll make a friend with a stranger and then he'll talk to that stranger for an hour. And he's always late to everything, but that's because the person in front of him is so important. He really values that individual learning about them, getting to know them. And I've definitely learned that from my father as well, that that people really matter. And in our business, but any business and any organization, it is at the end of the day about people, about having great people that have a common vision or goal and then working together. And that's magical. When you're working with people that you love and you respect, uh, it's an incredible experience. That's what I feel like I get to do at Young Living today is I get to work with really great people like you two gentlemen, but also a lot of great people that we have in our organization. We have over 30... About over three thousand employees worldwide. We're in twenty-six countries. I think we have present a presence, and we ship to over fifty. So the sun never really sets on our business. But it's all about the people. When we have the best people, we win because people are the ones who they solve the problems, they find opportunities, they work well together. You know, we move mountains when we work together. So um, those are a few of the things that I learned. I think work ethic. it's pretty common on a farm. But I remember when I started my first corporate job. And from the very beginning, my mother said, don't be a farmer. It's a terrible way to make a living, a good way to raise kids, but a terrible way to make a living. So she she really emphasized education. It was really important that we went to school to her. And ultimately, as, as a result, became really important to me as well. But my first corporate job, I remember when people would leave at five o'clock and kind of feeling like, are we done? Like, you can just leave at five o'clock? Because that wasn't the way, that was the way it was when I grew up. You know, we were used to working 12 hour days was, was and, and during a harvest, you're working 16, it's crazy. But I felt like it was a bit of a superpower for me because I I felt like I could outwork my my colleagues and it wasn't hard. It was just, I had that expectation already that that hard work came with the territory. And I think hard work and just showing up and doing your best goes such a long way in a career and in life. And I've come to appreciate that more and more as I've gotten older, that being successful in life, honestly, is first and foremost, just showing up, being willing to show up, even when you don't feel like it, just like show up every day. And then once, I find once you show up, you eventually say, hey, I'm here. I might as well do something, <laughs> right? Like you don't necessarily have to be, I think we put put a lot of pressure on ourselves to always be right or be perfect or anything like that. That's not what success looks like to me. It's you show up and you do your best. You show up and do your best every day, you're going to find your way. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. And I have made so many mistakes, but, but I've, I've learned through them and I've shown up. And I think honestly, that's what I try to do in my own life today is just show up the best I can every day for my family, for my wife, for my kids, for my wife, for my, for my, the you know brand partners I work with for our staff. And, and they know I'm not perfect, but as long as I think they see that I show up and bring my best self and do the best I can, they do the same. And that's when you, I think that's when you are able to do great work together.
1: You know, I think there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in there, right? Uh, the first thing uh, about, you know, education being important, uh, the things about your parents not talking about other people, uh, your mom telling you to, to look for, if you had a problem, you solve problems. Uh, all of those things are so important. And then uh, even in what you were just talking about, you know, there's how it's day to day showing up, and that's that's part of what we do with the Mister Fitz is is we ask guys to look at those areas every day, write write three to four sentences, even in your own journal, right. Uh, but but write about it and look back at your day. Like, have accountability to your day. If you killed it in that area, write it in green. If you didn't, if you just kept it going, write it in blue. And if you did it, did rough on that day, write it in red. But it it'll give you over time. You'll see that you'll have much more success. And I think if if more people would do that, uh, including myself, right? Uh, I'm a great starter. I'm not always a great middle of the rotor. I'm a good starter and finish, in the club. not a great middle of the rotor. Uh, and, and so I think if, if more of us did that and had that consistency in it, we would see much more progress in our lives in just whatever we're looking to do, uh, whether it's be a good husband and being a good dad or, or doing a great job in business. Um, you know, that, like you said, you, you faced some challenges on that. And the challenges that you faced in business and life. We've talked a little bit about your faith, but I would love for you to kind of share that journey with us because we are whole people and we can't really separate those things out because the hard things we face push us somewhere. And uh, and so we'd love to hear your story and, and kind of where your faith fits into to your life on the daily.
2: Yeah, I've been on a really interesting faith journey, honestly. I, I was raised LDS or Mormon that, you know, there are a lot of a lot of people of that faith here in Utah and it was my family's faith my parents still practice it most of my siblings do as well and um and it meant a lot to me growing up and it's a beautiful community uh it it had a lot of a lot of great support having adults who were not my parents who really cared about me and my development was a gift and I'll always be grateful for the community and for the for the the congregation that helped raise me it was a very much a village and I and I felt I just had such a blessed childhood in that way and and so I'm really indebted to to that faith for having helped me to develop and grow into the 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 human I I have become and I think as well it it was it gave me a lot of purpose and direction which was really important and powerful at that time in my life um it 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 compelled me to pray and meditate in ways that kids don't normally do and i think that was really important for me to really be present in my life and and thoughtful about what i was who i wanted to be what i was trying to become what 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 god what my maker expected of me or what i was what i was made for you know and so i'm really grateful for i had great leadership opportunities at the age of 12 i i started i had i remember the very first time doing a public presentation um, wow. To the congregation, and and it it really taught me to to articulate myself and to speak in public, which I do a lot now, and, and and leadership opportunities, leading the different youth groups that I was a part of, and having those opportunities, I'm just so indebted to that faith for what I learned and 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 how I grew up and developed as a as an individual. It culminated in a, a I served an LDS mission to South Korea, learned to speak Korean, which was opened the world to me. It's it's how I ultimately fell in love with international business and it paved the path for me to live, as you mentioned, Varick. I lived, uh, I've lived, i lived about 13 years of my life outside of the United States and I've worked in a lot of different countries. And I love it. I love people everywhere. I love different cultures. And the way, the way you learn and enhance your own view by seeing how other people view the world in different ways. Korea was very, it's so different from the United States. And I learned so much because they viewed things differently. And it gave me a chance to think about life differently than I had before, even in their language and their food, all of those things impact the psyche of a, of a, of a society or a civilization. And, and Korea is awesome. I just, I love Koreans. I loved what I learned there. Um, all that to say, so I I was very, very entrenched in my personal faith. And, and then, and then I went on a bit of a, after getting married and moving around the world a little bit, I went on a bit of a faith journey because I started to question some of the things that I'd accepted as truth and fact. From the time i was a very young boy and that was a bit of a harrowing experience it was scary because what it meant is i had to challenge the long-held beliefs that i'd had for a long time and and i there's still so much that's great about that community so that's not my point that that you know uh, that's not really why i'm saying the story but what i realized is that is that i i had to own my own faith i had to have my personal relationship with god yeah. And I had to make sure that I was square with him and and not always do it through an intermediary, not have someone give me permission for it, but actually cultivate and create it in a way that was authentic and real and personal. And and that's been a beautiful journey, but a hard one too, honestly, because I don't subscribe to my my childhood faith. And that creates complications for my community that I grew up in. They, you True. know, I'm no longer, I'm no longer, and and they're, they're, my parents are very loving. It's not that I've been treated poorly or anything, but I just don't belong to that same community. And I've had to then carve out and create my own authentic community as a result. But I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about, about life. And I've learned so much about, about God in that yeah. journey. And, and I feel what I really landed on in the end it, Oh, actually not landed. Cause I'm I'll never be done. You know, it's always, it's one of those journeys you never, you never complete. Sure. But, I feel so much more authentic about my actions today because I do it. I do it intentionally. I don't do it because I'm told I need to. I don't do it because I learned it in Sunday school. I do it because I believe it. I do it because I feel like one of my responsibilities in this life is, is to bless other people and make the world a better place. And um, Les Miserables in in the musical, they talk about to um, help another person is to see the face of God and i think that's where god lives for me in so many ways is when i when i connect with my fellow man and i get to see of course i pray and i have i have really intimate spiritual experiences with my maker but i think i feel it even more when i'm serving other people and when i'm when i'm experiencing the world around me and i'm trying to view the world maybe a little bit more like he does so anyway it's been a really interesting journey though because it's not i'm grateful because it was set on this path from my early years as a child. And at the same time, I've had to individuate and and learn and figure out what, what is my faith and, and how do I show up and evidence that faith on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I, I think that is, that's absolutely a beautiful way to say that. Um, you may not know this. I actually grew up LDS as well until I was about eight years old. My family was in the church and my dad was uh, firmly entrenched his whole, his whole, uh, Upbringing and most of his adult life, and my brother was on a mission in uh, Spokane, Washington, and very um, was interesting. I had
2: no idea, that's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we and had so that that's that's cool. Yeah, we, we cool. do we got that history together, but um, but yeah, my, so my my family came out of the church uh, while my brother was actually on his mission, and so it was very hard for him when he came back. uh, to kind of rectify that. Right. Like his whole family has shifted. Uh, and then, you know, I was, I was, I was relatively young, but, um, had the, had an experience where church was very, um, I'll just say it, you know, we were in a very controlling church uh, for the first 10 years of our marriage. Crystal and I were, and, uh, and we had to break break free from that so much so that she she actually led in that. And that was a, an area that was deficient in my leadership as a husband to look at things that were wrong and, and not be willing to fully step away from it. Um, and so uh, we've learned from that. And like you said, it's been a journey. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I have I have no doubts in my relationship with with God, and um, that that Jesus died for me, and, and what He did for me, and continues to do on a, on, a, on a basis of forgiving me for for my daily. Sin right, <laughs> like if you can get to ten a.m. without without uh, messing up, you're you're doing good. Um, but you know, and also John led me to the Lord on my 18th birthday, actually at a at a Denny's restaurant in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, so that's a whole different story. Yeah, but, you don't usually um, find God at Denny's, but
2: uh, well, you don't.
1: Like uh, it changed the course of my life, which I'm extremely grateful for. But yeah, you know, there there does come a point as a man uh, and as a woman too. You know, our wives have to do this as well, and and our kids do too. Where you take what you've been taught your whole life and you say, is this, is this what I was taught and is it my own? And do I hear from God? And do I believe from God? Am I willing to do and dig down and and do those things? And I think there's, there's points in our lives where we're willing to, and there's points where we pull back and there's all those areas. Um, but the, that, to me, is the only thing that's really gotten us through all of the the health issues and different things that our family has experienced, and um, and so we you know we have a, a firm foundation, even though um, we don't build correctly sometimes. Uh, and and you and I've talked as well. You've had some some hard times, even in even in your adult life. I, I know your wife; she's a beautiful lady. You got beautiful kids, but you you went through a hard time before before meeting her, right? And, and, and what have, what did you learn, uh, from your first marriage into the great marriage that you have now? Like what, what are some keys? Cause guys listening to this, if you look at percentages, there's more than 50% of the guys listening to this, who've been through a divorce. Um, or are ha- going through a divorce and m- most of the time you don't have people unless you're listening to a church podcast, you don't have guys be real and authentic and say this is what I learned um, mm-hmm. and and you've been extremely blessed. you've got an amazing family. but if you're if you're willing, I would love for you just to share a couple of takeaways that you learned um, through that hard process and and that could be a help to guys yeah. listening to this right now.
2: Great question, Verrick. Um, it's i grew up I grew up believing that that a divorce was wrong. it was morally wrong and and that it was it, it essentially insinuated that the people who were getting the divorce were were less than you know they were inferior they were they were sinners they uh, it, And and so I think I had a significant stigma about divorce and it's been really interesting as, as life works, you know, oftentimes we get the experiences that we need to, to help us better understand. And I, so what happened in my case is my, my ex-wife and I, we lived overseas for most of our marriage. We lived in South Korea, Taiwan and Australia. And in Australia, we were LDS Mormon. We, we, We were active and practicing for, for most of our 10 year marriage. About eight years in, she came across someone who had kind of transitioned out of the faith and she had a conversation with them and she very quickly decided that the faith wasn't for her anymore, that she wasn't happy and she wanted to make a change. And so I remember distinctly going home on, it was a Thursday and she was really kind. She put the kids to bed. She made me dinner. I was like, wow, this is great. I'm living my best life. And then she sat me down and said, I don't believe in our our faith anymore. And that was a real blow to me because faith was really important to me. Um, and, and I don't know that I would have given it the critical eye that I did in the end, if it hadn't been for her. And, and in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm grateful and indebted to her for helping me explore some things that have made me better. Uh, but it, but it did start to create a, uh, an irreconcilable gap between us. I found what happened is not long after, she basically said to me I don't know that I trust the decisions I made under the paradigm of something I don't believe anymore and that included our marriage. And so f- from then I felt like we, our relationship was in a bit of crisis and she very early on started to say things like we don't we don't have to be together to love our kids. Um, maybe the kindest thing we can do is let each other go. And we had a, we had a reasonably good relationship. I wouldn't say it was overly contentious. We fought like everybody else did, but, um, it didn't feel like it was the type of relationship that you get a divorce from mm-hmm. that said, I, I started to feel more and more that her heart had turned and she didn't want to be in the relationship anymore. And because I believed that divorce was bad, I, I extended it out. I drug it on. I, I thought I can be enough for both of us like i i love you i love our kids enough that i'm going to show up better i'm going to do more i'm going to make it right and and that went on for about 2 years and i learned a lot through that experience most importantly that relationship takes two and it's better for your kids for you to be good in your own life than it is for you to be married to their mother or their father you know depending on your your persuasion so i i um i realized ultimately having gone through it that it helped me disabuse myself of this this stigma of divorce that it was bad even though it's not no one gets married to get divorced nobody yeah. and, and and i feel what i what i realized through the experience is that i didn't have quite as much control over the marriage as i thought i did you know it wasn't just me showing up and doing my best it was also we i had to have the right partnership and she had to be the right fit for me and i had to be the right fit for her and we had to we had to see the world similarly, and we had to have we had to have enough of shared value that we could coexist as intimately as you do when you're married. And when I realized that this, due to this change in our faith circumstance, that we grew apart quite dramatically, in the end, it was kind of the it just became evidently the best thing for everybody. And so after, and and I drug it out longer than I should have, and I learned through through the experience that I. It would have been better for me and for everybody else to have realized that sooner. But, you know, it took a bit of time. And uh, so I learned a lot there. I think I also learned when I left that relationship, I thought, well, there it is. I have two kids. I have a boy and a girl. I love them dearly. I don't need any more kids. I don't need to get married again. Um, Been there, done that. And I'll just be on my own for the rest of my life. And and I was fine with that. I was really happy. I, I loved the time I had with my children. It was so... So magical to just have time with the two of them and nobody else. They became my world and we spent tons of time together. It really strengthened our relationship. I have incredibly fond memories from that time. And I didn't really expect to meet anyone. But of course, I moved back from Australia to Utah and met my now wife, Lydia. And she just swept me off my feet. <laughs> I don't know. She just, He's amazing. She was, yeah. she was magical. And and I realized what I was missing in my life. Life is better together. It's better in a partnership. It's better with someone you love. And I realized that I had a second chance at that, even though if I'm honest, I was really afraid. And so I think one of the lessons I would say is you don't have to rush into another relationship. I think, I don't think that's necessarily healthy, although every circumstance is different, but be willing to trust again and be willing to, to be open to being hurt again. There's no, there are no guarantees in any relationship. It, you know, you could, things could change radically tomorrow and change everything. There's just always that chance. We cannot eliminate any semblance of risk that this relationship may not work out because we're not in control of all of it. We only have our part that we can focus on and work on. But what I learned through it was that the, the greatest joys in life is through taking those risks and having some trust and allowing people in and, ha- and embracing that love in your life and being loved in return. And so I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. It's an unexpected second chapter of love, life, and family that I didn't see coming. And I don't take it for granted. I, I will say one thing that I really am grateful for having been through everything I've been through is I'm so much more intentional and present with my children and my wife than I was before, because I took it for granted. And And it's, it's easy to do. We, I think we all do. I still do it. So it's not like I don't, but I do catch myself a lot more often cherishing these children that I know grow up so fast and appreciating my wife and the way she shows up in my life and the unspoken ways that show that she loves me and, and just appreciating and valuing that and, and, and realizing that my life could be without it and my life is better with it. So I better show up. Well, I better do the best I can to be a good partner and a good father and and make the most of the second chance I have it at at, uh, at having a family like I do. So I feel very blessed. And, and it's funny. I feel like I'm happier today than I've ever been. Um, but I think it probably took going through a divorce to get there in my case, not for everybody. Right. Every circumstance is different. But in my case, I'm happier because of that journey I've been through, even though at the time I had I wouldn't have thought that to be the case.
1: Man, man, thank you so much. Go ahead, John.
0: Yeah, no, that, Ben, that is incredible. Uh, my parents went, went through a divorce when I was in junior high, so I kind of lived that side of the story. And my mm-hmm. mom was on staff at the church that we were in at the time. So that scarlet letter that you're talking about, I, I really do relate to, my yeah. friend, a lot. And I, I want to make an observation. I, obviously, I don't know you as well as Varick, but just listening to you talk about these two most important relationships in your life, your relationship with God, and your relationship with your significant other. Right. And how you had twice a second chance, you know, it it didn't work out the first time around in your relationship with God. And, and you had some solid foundation and some solid relationships and people and some great things happened. uh, But then you had some realizations and you had to pivot and the same, it sounds like a very similar story in your relationship with another human being, how there were some great things that happened there first time around, but I'm amazed that you've adjusted so well in both of those relationships because my background is psychology, undergrad and grad school. So I've, I've talked to a lot of people about marriage and family therapy, and I've lived 22 years in a wonderful marriage with a wonderful lady who's put up with me. But um, I, I don't know that many people who've been through such an incredible transition in one area, much less both, and come out the other end either not hating God or not hating people. How did you do that?
2: Oh, wow. I mean, you're probably giving me too much credit first of all, John. Thank you. but I, <laughs> I um it all happened kind of at the same time, too, as I mentioned, it was my faith, and then it was my marriage. And those two in quick succession were really, really challenging. I think that was the that was the period of my life where i I felt like I've been through the hardest series of experiences of of trials. and there were times when I feel like I, I'm a very by nature. I feel like I have a reasonably sunny disposition. I'm not, I'm not given to depression, although life's hard for everybody. I'm not always happy. I think it's a misnomer and it's, I, I've been thinking a lot about this actually that, and don't mean to digress too much, but happiness, happiness comes in moments, but joy actually is in showing up every day and, and working through your, your life. You know, it doesn't mean that everything's always going to be perfect. And I think we set ourselves up for some, misaligned expectations. If we think that somewhere along the way, we're going to be happy every single day and everything's going to be perfect. That's just, that doesn't exist. And I think the sooner we get, we realize that perfection is not ever going to happen. Um, you can accept the things that are imperfect in your life and take them in turn and and then appreciate the good things when they do happen. So thinking back on that time, I feel like as all trials in life, they make you or they break you. You know, if you're willing to go through the refinement and grow and learn through it and things like what my mother taught me to be personally empowered and rather than feeling like I was a victim, which would have been easy to do in some ways, I could have, I could have, I could have felt like it was not my fault. It wasn't fair that my wife no longer wanted to be with me or that, that my faith had changed so, so significantly. And I felt like some of the things I learned when I was young were incorrect. It's easy to point blame and be, be critical of others and external forces, but I just learned that there was magic in owning my life experience and trying to learn from it, trying to grow through it and realize that I can overcome. I remember a moment distinctly when I was, <laughs> it was right when I'd separated from um, from my first wife and I had w- gone over to see the children and I'd, rode, I'd, I'd ridden my bike and I was riding back home and it was a good probably five mile ride and the heavens opened in a just torrential downpour. And so I'm I'm kind of down in the dumps dumps because I'm realizing that I'm not waking up to my kids every day. My wife and it was by this time it was clear we weren't getting back together. And then and then it starts raining. And I remember having this moment where I think, well, I don't know what else can go wrong. But then I also had this realization of I'm still here. I'm I like I can I I I'm I'm stronger than this. I can overcome. I can I can still today keep pedaling this bicycle and get home and I'm going to be okay. You know, this is not the end. And and it doesn't matter what the, what the adversary throws at me, I'm up for it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that challenge and I'm going to do the best I can with, with those circumstances. And as a result, again, it, it was a big journey, John. I mean, I'm still on this journey of trying to sort through things that are hard and the trauma you experience and, and the hardship and the hurt and all of those things that come along with it. You have to work through all of that. And I have it too, but I also feel like I'm grateful. I'm just grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful that I have a a family that I love, a a company that I'm passionate about, great people who make my life better and and happier, kids who are my joy. You know, I I just, I I have so much good in my life that if, if, as long as you can always reframe and understand that the hard things are going to come and go, it's inevitable. And rather than trying to, to sidestep them or whatever, um, I've been reading a lot of Ryan holiday recently. He's a, he's kind of a modern stoic. And one of his books is the obstacle is the way. And, and it's, it's about that. I've thought a lot about, if you think about Sisyphus of ancient Greece, that he was condemned to push, you know, the stone uphill and every day the stone was back where he began and he had to push every, every single day. And it really was meant to be a metaphor of the, uh, of the vicissitudes of life. And, I feel like you have to realize that it's actually the magic is in pushing. It's not in getting the the rock to the top of the hill. And it's really hard because so often we feel like I'm working to this destination. When I get to this destination, then all my problems are going to be solved. And that's not the way life works. It's just showing up every day and pushing that stone because in, in the process, you get stronger, you become smarter, you, you, you know, you, you find value and, and you make contribution. And so I think if you can reframe and rethink the way we view life and we view life experiences, I think you can realize that it's through these trials and it's actually through things like what I've just talked about that I feel like I've grown more and become a better person because of not because of the wins and I've had wins too, but they're not the things that have
1: refined and improved me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a hundred percent on that. Um, I know John has, has some follow-ups on, on this for sure. Uh, but you know, Ben, it just, when you talk about that, you you can see somebody who's come through slings and arrows and has been strengthened by them. And uh, just I'm going to let John's going to take over after this. But guys who are taking the slings and arrows that don't feel they can move on, what is one sentence you would give them? to strengthen them. Like, I love you're in the rain and you're like, you know, I, I can, I can make this right. But what's one thing that you would give a guy who's going through it all. They may have, they may have lost their job, uh, through the recession that we're in, they may be upside down in their home you know, whatever, uh, that, that is going on right now through your experience, what would you say to them?
2: I mean, one sentence makes it tough, but I think I would probably say, what does being stuck in the negative emotion do for you? How does that help you? Because when we realized, what I realized is that by being hurt, that my wife said she didn't want to be with me anymore. If I nurse that hurt and pain, that hurts me. Why Why do I want to do, why do I want to hurt myself? Ultimately, what I realized is in that experience is I realized I love my children. They are my true north. And what's best for my children is best for me because that is my, that is my, that's my true north. That's what really matters to me. And that means that and listen, blending families, going through a divorce, co-parenting is so hard and I don't do it right. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you like it's a trial every day for me, but, but I will say that I realized that it didn't behoove me to have an, a caustic relationship with their mom or to stew in the hurt of of the rejection because all it did is it hurt. It hurt me. And if you're in a place that where you're hurt and you're hurting and you don't know where to go, Love yourself enough to say, I'm not going to stay in this place. I'm not going to stay where I feel rejected because I know that I have value to give and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to try to make it better today in whatever way I can. Winston Churchill said it best. He said, if you're going through hell, keep going. You know, when things are hard, if you just stay, sit there and stew in it, you're still in hell. If you keep going, you find your way out. So just keep, put one foot in front of the other and see what you can do today to make it that much better. And what what you find is I, I look back now and those trials in my life, and I I they they were the setbacks that set me up for all of the blessings I have today. And if I would have fought against that, if I wouldn't have seen the 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 magic in in the growth and and what could happen because of it, and to be honest, I didn't see it. <laughs> I should say I didn't see it. I didn't know that I would meet my wife. I didn't know I'd get married and have children again. I didn't know I'd be back here at Young Living. I didn't know that all of these great blessings that have happened would 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 follow the trials and would follow what, how I navigated those trials. So I would, I guess the other thing, this is the worst one word, word, one sentence answer ever is that it gets better. It gets better. You're never stuck any place. Nothing is permanent. So if you're feeling lousy today, guess what? Tomorrow will be better. I promise you, you can't be, you can't be in the worst situation of your life for the rest of your life. Nobody is. It'll always, there's always a way out. So give yourself that path, do what you can today to make it just that little bit better. And what you'll find is when you look back after a few months of that, that you've made incredible progress and that you're in a much better place as a result and you're better for it. You know, you, you push that, that rock uphill, you're stronger, you're smarter, you're more capable because of
0: it. I, you know, Ben, you've, you've said so much in the last 30 minutes that I would love to have another two or three hours with you just to unpack, um, all the way back from your mother's 11th commandment, by the way, I think God would have agreed with her. (laughs) And if you look at the story of the Israelites, right, whenever they whined, it did not go well for them. They were swallowed up by a a, a crack in the ground or something really terrible wandered for 40 years. Um, But when I, when I listened to your story and when I listened to your life experiences, I mean, even the traveling the world and living in another country, how valuable that must've been. Um, I, I've only traveled abroad a few times, but the interactions that I had with human beings on a different continent or in a different part of the world who spoke a different language opened my eyes uh, to the human condition. Right? It, it opened my eyes to uh, to learn more about myself. Um, and I think as Americans we get a bit egocentric. We we don't value other opinions, I think, as much. Which is, and, and don't even get me started on social media. And then you get people just you know hating and trolling all over each other. But talk about if you don't mind um, your experience traveling internationally, living internationally, in and among the people, learning a different language—that's so incredible to me.
2: Yeah, well, man, I, I I just like I said, I grew up in a small town. I'd not been on a plane until I was a senior in high school, and I flew to San Diego. It was like an hour and a half, you know. It was I was just lived a very small town and very uh, sheltered life in a lot of ways and i'm i'll be forever grateful for the mission that i served to go to another country it helped facilitate learning what was a very challenging language and it was it was one of those you know you have those periods in life where you it's just where where you have that window of opportunity to just have that self discovery and and intellectual stimulation and growth that you you experience and for me, that was very much that couple of years as I learned to speak a language. And you mentioned this, John. One thing I didn't realize before I learned another language is you understand people better when you speak their language, not because, of, not because you speak the same language. It's because you understand why, why and how they say things. I'll give you an example. So in, in South Korea, they will say, well, here's here's a really blatant example. They'll say, have you had rice? And you can say, "Yeah, I just had a hamburger." That's still to them rice because rice is the staple food, right? So, because it was so critical to their subsistence, they they just it's like it's like when in the South when you say you want a Coke and you give them a Pepsi, right? It's the same kind of thing where that is that is we all know what it means, even if you say you're you have you have you had rice or you know um, you realize that that it is so critically important to their civilization, their culture. But the other thing I learned was a really common greeting. And this is maybe more into the psyche, a really common greeting in South Korea is they'll say, they'll say in Korean, which means, have you had rice? And what I came to appreciate that meant was it was a greeting. It was like saying, hi, John, how are you? And instead I would say, hi, John, have you had rice today? And what it was, was a way to express concern for you because back in the old days, they didn't always have rice. Right. You may not have had rice today. And it's a way for me to say, John, have you had rice? Great. Come in. Let me serve you some rice. Let me feed you. Let me give you food. And and so there, and and those are two very small examples of a much bigger picture around understanding how environment and um history and experience shapes a a people and its psyche and the way they talk about things and and their life experience. It's all expressed through language. And it's really cool. We do it in English, too. We just it's lost on us because we're we're so accustomed to it. But learning a language helped me really get into the hearts and minds of another culture and see things differently in ways that I thought I I just learned so much about how how they viewed the world. And there were times, John, you mentioned this, this is a great point around us. We Americans, we we're pretty proud of ourselves. And you know what, The United States is a great country. So I'm really grateful to have been born in this country. I'm grateful for the values that we espouse. I'm worried about our future. I think we all are. But, but I think the United States is worth fighting for. And I'm really grateful for it. But we can learn. We can learn from these other countries. And, and countries like China and Korea and the Middle East, they're, they're thousands of years old. And they have things that they can teach us and we can learn from and we can be better because of those associations and connections. So I, I definitely when I was in Korea and then later Taiwan and even Australia, I had an opportunity to, to view the world differently through different lenses that I had before. And I learned so much. And there were times when I'd learn something and I'd say, I actually like that better than what I think. <laughs> you know, you realize, wow, you have a much better way or view or healthy um, understanding of a particular thing. And I could give lots and lots of examples, but I think the more we, the more we open ourselves up to the world and the knowledge that exists in this world, which is more accessible than ever, I think the more we're better as a country, the more we're better as people. And I just fell in love with it. I, I fell in love with learning new languages, meeting new people, experiencing cuisine, everything. It's, it's just really, really magical. And, and I found that traveling is, is the best i love traveling but living there is even better because you actually get to live it you get to see what it's like to be a korean for you know for a few years and try try and behave and understand and be korean as best as you can and then for me taiwanese and trying to learn mandarin and and understanding how they think and what they eat and why and all of those things you just learn and grow by having those experiences i'm a big believer that we all need to we all need to see the world a little bit more and i think we need to make time for it we need to prioritize time to go and and learn and understand other cultures and sometimes john it's just it's just you know going on a family trip to europe and exploring what's there you don't it doesn't have to be a crash course it can just be something that's fun and
0: and family building and also stimulating that's that is incredible um and i know we're coming up against our time you let me know how much more time you have but I, i'm good i am good for
2: a bit more yeah
0: Okay. I would be remiss if I didn't um, ask you about essential oils, because it's obviously something that my wife and I have used for the better part of a decade. <laughs> and I don't know if I told you this before, but she has uh, multiple sclerosis. And so okay. we learned range a long time ago. And we've used, I think every oil that, that you guys have. Um, and mm-hmm. I've actually been out to the farm and, and got mm-hmm. to tour it and see where the magic is made. But um, talk a little bit about kind of the move into health and wellness and, and like you were saying earlier that you have to be your own advocate. I've been in insurance and benefits for 20 years and I've seen time and again where you absolutely have to be your own advocate in, in healthcare and in extended healthcare. I'd love to see on your side and on the provider side um, what you see happening in the next five, 10 years in health and wellness.
2: God, that's a good question, John. I I, I have what I hope happens. I don't know if it actually will. Yeah. I think unfortunately- I think unfortunately there's too much money in the way the system is built right now. And, and, and Western medicine has its place. There are good reasons to go to the hospital, right? And I think hospitals are really good at helping people who are sick. Hospitals aren't great at helping people be well or be more well, or to be proactive and empowered in their own health and wellness. And so what I think the problem is by the time a lot of people, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, when, someone goes to the hospital it's too late because they've been neglecting their wellness and not been empowered to take care of themselves and and that's in that's in every facet i think physical activity Varick, you mentioned that is one of the one of the values that that you talk a lot about you have to stay active if you if you stop moving your body that's that like movement is life no question movement is life so you have to you have to be you have to care enough to show up every day and figure out can i just do a walk today how, how am i going to get my 30 minutes of physical activity. And as I've gotten older, I'm in a busy job. I've got two young kids. I I used to love to go on long bike rides or I ran marathons. I don't do that anymore because it's not my priority, but I get 30 minutes in. You know, I oh and it, it might be just a walk with my wife uh, in the morning or after the kids go to bed. We just make sure that that she's really good at it and and she brings me along fortunately. But we, we prioritize being physically active, which I think is super important. But then additionally, I, I think Going back to the topic of wellness, John, I, I would love to see us prioritize wellness. It would save our country so much money. It would save so many lives. If we could start to proactively say, how do I How do I ensure that I'm eating a healthy diet? How do I create a, a, a healthy environment? I mean, it's shocking as I've learned over time, how many unhealthy toxins and environment matters. What you have in your home, what you breathe in every day, it really matters. And so, um, really being intentional about the things you you bring into your home and you bring into your life and realizing that my health, if I don't have that, I don't have anything. So I really need to invest in it. And investment to me, first and foremost, is education. You have to understand both both the area of wellness, like how how is one well? What are the things that you need, the markers for wellness? But I think it's also knowing yourself. What are my own personal health challenges? I've had, I've had, I have a couple of, um, I, I have a stomach issue, an autoimmune stomach issue. And, um and I was told I needed to be on medication for the rest of my life. And I thought that's a, that's a life sentence. And I don't want that. I don't want to have, I don't want to mask the symptoms. I want to get to the root cause and figure out what it is. And that's why things like essential oils and natural medicines have been so important to me because it's helped. It's helped me. It's helped my children. It's helped my wife. And, and we believe that nature, God created nature for a reason. And nature has we've depended on nature for, for millennia. And all of a sudden we feel like everything that, that is good comes from a lab now. I don't think that's true. I I find that, I find that oftentimes the body systems are optimized. They work really well if you care for them and if you understand them and if you support and and supplement them where necessary. And so as a result, John, I've really focused in on, I mean, obviously essential oils, and we use essential oils for everything. We use them for their, their, I use them to help me, well, I'm going to start making claims. I better I better not. but I use them for for all kinds of things in my life. And sometimes it's it is honestly just helping me be more present. It's amazing what what oils can do to, especially when you intentionally use oils and attach intention to them. They can become a a driver, a driver for feelings and thoughts and 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 even there are some oils. I'll give you an example. Let me grab one real quick. I have this one I've been loving on right now. It's believe. Because I've been thinking a lot about how important belief is in our life. Sorry, let me, oh, it's backwards, believe. And this has not always been one of my favorites, but it has been in the last couple of years because what I've found is that because I've been thinking a lot about belief and I tie that to what this oil represents and the constituents, that when I smell it, it puts me in a space that I like. It puts me in a space where I feel like I'm more empowered and I'm more, I have more faith. I have more hope. I'm, I'm in a better space and i know it sounds funny but i'm just telling you these things work you have to be intentional about the way you show up in your life and not turn your nose up at stuff that seems a bit funny or whatever i've just i've learned over time that especially and and what i find too and i feel like i'm probably going a bit on a bit of a tangent but what i find is when people have health challenges they're not getting good answers for that's when we get creative and and i'm grateful that i had that experience early on in my life but i wish and i would love for us to to not require a health crisis to get serious about our wellness. I really wish that we would start from the beginning. Uh, Something my wife says all the time is she says, you take your dog to the vet and the first question the vet asks is, what is your dog's diet? What is your dog eating at home? When we go to the doctor, they don't say, what is your diet? What are you eating? What did you eat in the last week? And we're not that different. And so, anyway, I just think we need to get a, a fundamentally more holistic view of our own personal um, wellness and be more empowered. Be just take it seriously because this is what we got. And if your health, if you don't have your health, it it there's that saying, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. It's true. But we take it so for granted, and I think we have to just be a little bit more empowered and proactive about making sure we take care of that thing.
0: Um, but I do value so much what you do, uh, what your, what your company does. And I'm so grateful for the time uh, to hear more about Ben and the journey that you've taken more so than a bio that we, you know, could read off and, and hear about your professional accomplishments and what you've had, because, and I think this speaks to Mr. Fitz. I mean, what we are is so much more than what we've accomplished or the, the titles that we give ourselves. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm really grateful for the time that we've had with you to learn more about your journey and your background and kind of the challenges that you've overcome and how you've done that.
2: Well, thanks, John. And I, 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 I really love what you do. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of, I'm a big fan of everything Varick does and you do as well. I I love that you show up for men in this way because we need help. We really do. I, I find that my wife is really good at connecting with women. She has friends that she sees regularly. She's very social. She has a community and they're, and they're vulnerable and open and honest with each other. We don't do that very well as, as men, but it's important. It, it's how we find joy in our lives through those relationships, but it's also how we get honest and real with ourselves. I've, I've come to appreciate that. How I like the work I do for myself in my heart, in my mind is how I show up to the world. And so, if I want to be a good dad, if I want to be a good husband, if I want to be a good working professional, good at what I do, if I want to be a good friend, if I want to be a good child of God, I, I have to, I have to be vulnerable, and I have to work through the issues that I have. We all have them, right? And that's that's, a, that's okay. It's okay to have insecurities and vulnerabilities, and and fears and things you don't do well, and all of those things. The problem is when we don't explore them and really. Try to unpack them and take care of them because those insecurities show up in my relationships with with you and with everybody else that's in my life. And I I I think if you really love those people and if you want to be your best, you you have to take that serious. You have to really be intentional about. Uh, Zig Ziglar said he said um, motivation doesn't last. And neither does bathing which is why we recommend it daily and I think it's kind of like that you've got to show up in your in your life every day intentionally to try and be your best and that's not to say like like you say Verek I make I make five mistakes before before breakfast but I'm showing up and I'm doing the best I can and and I'm doing it intentionally and that means that as long as the people that I care about see that I'm showing up earnestly and sincerely they're going to give me some grace they're going to be okay with me not being perfect they know I'm not and 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 I think letting go of that Letting go of feeling like I always have to have all the answers or I can't be vulnerable has been such a gift for me to just be able to be open
0: and honest and acknowledge there are things I don't do well and it's okay. You seem to have, have channeled uh, energy in the right direction in that conversation to be able to have positive uh, self-conversation. I, I wonder if some of that's the the positive conversations your parents had with you growing up, if allowing grace for yourself. Yeah,
2: I think definitely my parents even more though i think john it, it's been um speaking so like speaking with god and 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 being vulnerable but also also realizing that forgiveness is real and it's okay to not be perfect um and i also am a big believer in affirmations i know affirmations are kind of corny but speaking love to your soul is important we say things john you mentioned this we say things to ourselves we'd never say to anybody else and why do we speak that way to ourselves, it doesn't make us better. And I think, I think sometimes speaking that love to your soul is, is the kind of salve that you need to kind of smooth over the bumps and bruises that you get along the way to realize, you know what, it's okay. I'm showing up, I'm doing my best and that's enough. That's enough today. And so um, those types of affirmations, prayer, I think is really, gratitude is really important. And then relationships surrounding yourself with people who, who breathe love to you as well, you know, who really They're going to show up and tell you that they love you and they and they and they're okay with you making mistakes and not being perfect. Um, I think those are some of the sources that have really brought love into my life. And I hope that means that I can then share love because of it. You know, like I said, I've got to take care of that myself so that I can be a vessel for for sharing goodwill to other people and hopefully making their lives better, too.
1: You And this is kind of in some inside baseball, young living people. When you do talks with your leaders, you always end with quotes or poetry, but you're never reading them. And, and whether it's Rudyard Kipling or, or you know, things that most people, yeah, Rudyard Kipling, they're like, yeah, I watched, I, I watched the movie of that. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's just that's, that's kind of good. But you, you have those things quoted. So just if you can really quickly, how much has reading impacted you? Uh, and, and not just reading, you know, the newest thing out each, each month, but, but classics and things with deep truth, how has that impacted you? And, and how, what kind of, I guess, what kind of, uh, strength does that give you in daily conversation and in leadership?
2: Uh, yeah. Thanks, Barak. I do love to read. I I, I learned that from my mother. She's very literary. In fact, she had, she had the best vocab, she has the best vocabulary. I love talking to her because she knows how to use words. And I really always admired that. And she's a reader. So they read to me as a child. I, I learned to love to read probably more so than a lot of kids my age because there were the comp- competitors of TV and video games and things like that. But I, I don't know. I, I I guess I prioritized it. I made time for it. I, I have always <laughs> I'd always look up words I didn't know. And I learned a lot of vocabulary that way. Not because I want to sound smart, but because I feel like the right word in the right place is 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 how you really can convey a thought. And so there's nothing more beautiful to me than when somebody knows how to say something just the right way, and it perfectly conveys the emotion, the idea. It's really hard to do. Um, and I aspire to that. I aspire to be a good communicator and understand words and and be able to really express when I feel an emotion, especially... I'm trying to tell someone how much they mean to me, I want to say it right. Or if I'm, if I want to articulate the own emotions I'm feeling, or if I'm going to have a hard conversation, I want to be able to articulate it in a way that makes it palatable and hopefully facilitates an understanding in terms of, um, how it's affected me. I I do think it, for me, I, I still really value and prioritize reading because I feel like it's exercise for my mind and, I don't, I read a really broad cross-section of books. I, I love classics because classics, you know, they're good. They wouldn't be a classic if they weren't. So classics I love, but I also like to read contemporary and I'll read I'll read sports, I'll read um, mystery or science fiction, or I'll read a little bit of everything. A lot of business books, a lot of leadership books, a lot of faith books, faith-based books. I, I read a little bit of everything in part because I, I had this. So the other, I just recently finished not too long ago, a book called "The Battle of Actium," I think, is what it's called. And It was the making of the of the uh, Roman Empire, and I read it just because I thought it was an interesting topic. But I found a direct correlation, or or I was able to take a business strategy out of it that we then utilized because of something that that was done by um, by Octavia. So anyway, I I think if you there's knowledge everywhere, and if you're open and, and willing to to prioritize kind of exploring the world. I think part of it is just being curious about the world around you, learning about things you don't know and exercising your mind because the value is, is obviously what's in the book, but even more, it's to me, it's the state that your mind is in that gives you ideas and things that you can apply into your life. You know, reading the Bible is the same when you're, it's funny how you can read the same passage over and over and over again. And then because of one moment in your life where you are at that time, you read that verse and it means something completely different. And I think that's, that's, that's what it is, is exploring the world around you. I, um, but I, I think the biggest thing, Varick, is I just prioritize it. And I love the written word. And I make sure that I am, am constantly, or at least I try to prioritize exercising my, my mind in that way and exploring the world and, and hopefully understanding better um, because of it. I did realize that like you can't read every book in the world. And so I've, I've, I, I used to, I used to not be able to put a book down just out of principle say, I'm going to see this book to the end, but now I feel like I'll read something. And after the first couple of chapters, if I say, no, this isn't really what I'm after, I'll put it down and I'll go for something else. I'll find something else that is a better fit for what I'm, I'm looking for in the moment. But I also use Goodreads to set goals. So I set a book goal every year. I try to read a hundred books a year. And, wow, wow. um, and so I, 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 I use that as a way to keep myself accountable and track it over time. And, and so those are some of the tools that have helped me stay kind of engaged in that space. And I, I, I just think you should always be learning. You know, I want to be the best I can in my life. And and that means I have to invest in my mental state too.
0: Guys uh, going through a difficult time. What's, what's your, what's a go-to book you recommend to guys who are really challenged with something, whether it's family, uh, business, life, God, anything, what, what are some good reads for guys? Wow. Uh, let's see. So Going through trial.
2: Yeah, no, no, that's fine. I, I, so I, I mentioned I love reading Ryan Holiday right now. He's he, he talks a lot about stoic principles and has a lot of anecdotes. So things like Obstacle is the Way, um, Call for Courage. Um, let's see, what's the other? Uh, uh, Stillness is Key. Those are three that I've read just recently. Um, I really, I just gave um, Jacob Young a book. I'm giving him uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. And, and one that's kind of along those same lines is mistakes were made, but not by me. I really love that book or those two books because it really challenges the narratives we tell ourselves and the way we buy into those narratives and then try to orient the world to fit the narrative rather than just viewing the world as it is, which I think is really important. Um, I, I'd i say one of the best books I've read this year is 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. Um, it's a really great, It it kind of So I subscribe to the Stephen Covey Covey, um, time management principles. It's like one of the first personal development books I ever read. And it's been very, very seminal in my life. But this, this 4,000 weeks book got me to think about it a little bit differently. And it was quite, it was quite an eye opener. So that was a big aha for me. I don't know if that's as as relevant to the topic you're talking about. Let me see what else. Enlightenment Now was quite interesting. I read that just recently uh, let's see. And then I recently read, uh, Stephen M R Covey's new book, trust and inspire. It's quite good. More of a business setting, probably not as much for like going through, going through ch- trials or challenges, but, you know, sometimes I'd also say sometimes just read things that are fun. You, you know, a lot of people, they feel like, Oh, I've got to read something. Cause it's good for me. And it's like always eating your vegetables, but never getting dessert. Sometimes you deserve dessert too. And so I'll read things that just are purely for fun. I love to read books about any sport. I'm very much into sports, um, biographies, history, just topics that I find interesting, not because I'm trying to apply it to business or even anything other than it's just an interesting topic that I
0: want to explore. Or just Yeah, the old, ad- the old adage that leaders are readers and readers are leaders um, is incredibly true. And And you're a perfect example of that. I thank you so much for sharing some of that insight that's that's terrific
2: yeah no thank you i I do love to read and i think veric set me up with a softball on that one so thanks (laughs) veric
1: well well, ben uh i I just want to thank you for taking a lot of time out of your busy day and helping to run a very large company spread all across the world um you know i i know part of the inner workings of what you guys do uh I know that um, if you weren't using our products, uh, you wouldn't have the energy to do what you do on a daily basis uh, because I use them every day myself. But, um, but I, I just wanted to thank you for taking time out uh, for not only uh, speaking your heart, but speaking truth, speaking hard truth and and speaking wisdom to every guy uh, and every lady who's going to get to listen to this podcast and to be a part of what Mr. Fitz is doing. Uh, you have definitely brought value and added to what we are and who we are moving forward. So I want to thank you so much for that. And hey, you're, you're welcome anytime uh, to be back on here. We would love to love to interact with you more. Well, very, John. Thank you.
2: I, I, first of all, the audience doesn't know this, but I was difficult. So thanks for working around my schedule and making this happen. So I apologize first of all about, um, ha- I, I just appreciate you accommodating me and it's a pleasure to be here. I, I want to stress that it, I don't have it all figured out. Right. And, and I feel like we've just talked about some of the things that I've learned along the way. I'm, I, I do, I really make mistakes. So many mistakes before breakfast. I, I I'm still figuring it out too. We all are. And so I think give yourself grace and just realize if you show up, if you do your best, that's good enough. And I'm not telling you that I know all the answers. I'm just trying to share some of the things that I've learned along the way. And I'm, and I learned from you, Veric. I learned from you, John. And I think that's why this community is important is let's learn and be better together. Let's support each other. Let's, let's love each other. Let's, let's give ourselves permission to be, to be better men together because of, because of the support we give each other. And so I love what you do really appreciate it and I have it's been an honor to be a part of the podcast today.
1: Our pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day. Everybody out there, uh, this is Mr. Fitz. We thank you for joining us for today's episode. We hope that it has uh, given you strength. We hope it's inspired you in what you're going through. We hope that it gives you some wisdom to walk through what you're walking through, whether it be a victory, a challenge, or even uh, even though we hate to say it, even through a failure. Uh, we all fail, uh, but we hope that this podcast and what this community does helps you to get through and to be a stronger man on the other side. Thanks again, Ben. Uh, ben Riley, president of Young Living Essential Oils for being with us today and hope you guys have a wonderful day.